Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to another episode of Concerts That Made Us. I'm your host, Brian. And before we get into this week's episode, the answer to the last trivia question was, of course, The Doors. They were the first band to use a billboard to promote a new album. Now, for this week's trivia question, which famous bassist was a sixth grade teacher before he became famous? I can't wait to hear your answers. And we've also got another five-star review. Awesome show. If you like listening or making music of any kind, then you need to listen to this show. It's entertaining, but really dives deep as well. The guests are all super interesting. Nice job. This one was left by Passion Board Shop on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget, if you leave a five-star review, it will be read out during the show. Now, on to this week's episode. First off, I have to apologise. There was about a five minute segment where there was an issue with my mic that we didn't pick up on while recording. Unfortunately, it did show up while editing and there was nothing I can really do. So I assure you, I'm not trying to do my best impression of a robot. But luckily it only lasts for five minutes. So just bear with it and listen to what the guest has to say. And the guest, of course, is Ross Harding, all the way from South Africa. I'm very excited for you to hear this one. I had such an amazing chat with Ross. We chat about everything from his early musical influences and experiences right up to modern day and what he has planned for the future. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Until your daughters 
through Rest now, mother I've made it all the way You're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it very much. I'm delighted to have you. How are you doing this evening? I'm very well, thank you. Very, very well, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So uh, we just heard your song, Rest. Would you like to Mm. tell us a bit about it? Mm. Um, Rest was maybe the onset of of this EP and perhaps subconsciously it comes from the, t- the sort of turmoil and change that we've had um, in the world, but a little bit closer to home as well. So it, it touches on a, like a broad idea of rest, you know, 
and and taking some time but it, it's also the sort of onset of of rebirth which is why those ideas are, are closely linked the rest and resurrection ideas um it, it is a song about um breathing room um finding oneself um sort of the the calm after the storm as it were you know having weathered having weathered a storm and finding oneself um at the at the end of the at the end of that that path you know and able to sort of take uh take note of of where you are and and build from there so i think it's got i tried at least to to give it some sort of positive message but without it being so specific that it's not open to a listener's individual uh interpretation as it were yeah yeah there's some uh very important teams nowadays taking time for yourself and you know as you said figuring out who you are and you know going at your own pace kind of kind of thing mm, mm, mm. I, I think that whether whether I, I wrote that with that intention consciously or not i can't really say mm. um but it does i feel like it does hold some weight uh in in the world now and it's funny because we see ourselves as individuals as people that are unique but it's it's very difficult to escape um a, a general mindset or a general feeling that exists uh you know in your community in your country in your city um so perhaps there is a, a kind of influence from that from that perspective um that that makes itself apparent in the song um and and it's a you know it does touch on those kind of themes but i, I if i remember um it it the song was kind of written quite swiftly it it didn't take me it didn't take a hell of a long time to get i mean it's it's one of those songs that that happened in 10 minutes you know and just felt right you know sometimes yeah. i can sometimes i can slave away at a song you know, for months and it, it doesn't come together. Something about that song just felt like it was the right thing. Um, and I, I didn't have to give too much thought to what the lyrics were going to be or, or what I wanted to say. It just sort of, the music sort of just dictated that. And yeah, if it, if it does have sort of resonance with um, what's happening now in the world, um, then I think that's fine. I'm happy with that. Um, and if it resonates on a more personal level, then I think it's done its job as well. Yeah, yeah. When you say it just uh, it was one of them 10 minute songs, when that tends to happen, then do you automatically know you're onto a winner? Mm, I think so. I, I try to, with songwriting, I, I try to use intuition, my own intuition, as much as possible. Um, so whether it's a winner or not, uh, I can't really say. Um, but there's, there's obviously something that, that feels right within me, um, as I'm going about that process. And it's, it's almost when it, to me, when it happens that quickly, it's almost as if I'm listening to it from a third party, if that makes sense. You oh, don't have yeah. time, you don't have a lot of time to, um, to analyze and, and start to tear it apart. And I, I've never really been a songwriter that does that. I know like. A lot of artists will 
will come up with plenty ideas and then take a verse from this song and stick it with that chorus and vice. I've never really written like that. To me, if it feels right from the sort of onset and it, it moves kind of naturally, then, then, then I feel like a listener will have that same experience as opposed to like something that's shaped together um, from different places. You know, there's, there's one idea that's kind of happening. Um, and maybe that's why some of my songs are so simple. Um, it's, there's, there's not a hell of a lot of uh, virtuosity going on there. You know, it's a, it, in essence, it's a 12 bar blues that I've just utilized in a slightly different way. Yeah. Um, and that, that creates, I think it creates a sense of, uh, that repetition is almost, can become almost like trancey, you know, mm. the same thing that's like, this is why I love the blues because it's like this process that happens over and over. The listener is able to get into it really quickly and then find the, the messages and the notes more appropriately or um, more easily than something that requires a hell of a lot of listening, you know, um, like a progressive song or whatever the case is. So, so with that said, sometimes it just it comes out of my mind really quickly and um, I am able to put it down and, and sort of look at it as an as an entire picture yeah and say yeah okay that's that's finished you know i'm not i'm not really gonna i'll tweak this and that with with certain uh stylistic nuances i guess um but the core is there you know if it's if it sounds good with the vocal and an acoustic guitar i think that it's it's 95 percent there how do you know then when it's completely done when you can't add anything more to it Again, I think it's I think it's a little bit more about an intuitive feeling, because mm. um, you can go to town, and I've done it often, <laughs> where where I've got a, like a decent idea, and then I ruin it with, <laughs> with with overthinking and overthinking and overthinking. So I do rely heavily on intuition to tell me, okay, that's that's fine. Um, but I think certain stylistic, I, I want to call them limitations, but I'm going to use that word. There are stylistic limitations that will will kind of put one's music into a certain sphere of creativity. So what I mean by that is I'm not necessarily going to write a song and then say to myself, I need some Hammond organ in this and I need some synthesizers and, and, and I need an orchestra in my mind. I'm, I'm writing music that um, can be performed by a three-piece band, you know, or a four-piece band. Uh, so vocals, guitar, drums, bass, you know, and mm. maybe you call it a limitation. Uh, I use that word for the lack of a better term, but there's a, there's a certain element of uh, authenticity or something raw that can be accomplished by those instruments. There's something just natural about how those blend together so when i'm writing if if i start really going off on a tangent and now there's like a three-piece guitar harmony and a this and a, then i start to say whoa 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 i'm i'm not really uh i'm not really accomplishing what my intention is as a songwriter i'm actually trying to write something that 
uh, gets across to the listener as swiftly as possible um, within my own stylistic preferences, which is an electric guitar with a great drummer and a great bass player. And hopefully I can sing on pitch and that will be... <laughs> yeah, you be don't want to overcomplicate Yeah, I want to try to keep it as, as neat and tidy as possible. Um, within the sort of genre that I, that I like, it's guitar music, you know, so yeah. there ends up being, I mean, this, this EP, there's a solo on every single song, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> and for some listeners that may be a little bit indulgent to me, it's even indulgent sometimes, but it's kind of, it kind of fits within the, the realm of, of what I'm doing and what my own preferences are. And I know that there are fans. Um, that will appreciate that too. And that's, that's kind of where, you know, where my mind is at when I'm writing this music. It's, it's like I mentioned earlier, it's not really about, uh, writing to an audience as opposed to writing for an audience that's there already, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I getcha. I getcha. Um, we'll jump into your history a bit. This might be a, a tough one to just spring on, you know, but, mm-hmm. uh, what if you can, what is your earliest musical memory? That is that is such a nice question. Um, I, I can remember I can remember driving with my mum when I was a kid, probably five or six years old, mm. and um, listening to Eric Clapton on a CD in the car, or maybe oh, wow. a tape. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so hard to say if at the time, if that had a kind of influence on me, but I can remember liking it. Um, I, I remember enjoying that music, um, at that time. So that, that, that's the earliest kind of recollection I have of being in a sort of musical environment. Yeah. Um, maybe taking notice of music. Taking it in. Yeah, I remember like my, my dad liked some Afrikaans music, some like bur- traditional sort of South African folk music, I guess you might call it, mm. which didn't, it didn't, it didn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't my cup of tea as a kid. So I'd, I'd hear some of this and go like, nah, but on the, on the other hand, my old man was, was, um, had quite a big classical collection of all the greats. Right. Um, right. So what what i um again probably uh unknowingly i caught on to was um piano classical ah. so the orchestra the orchestral stuff the, even to this day the orchestral music in in little bite sized chunks i can i can handle in like opera but um, classical piano has been, again, maybe it's because of the fact that it's just one instrument, you know, and so, sort of one person. There's something about that stripped down nature that, that appealed to me. Um, and as, as I've, as I've matured as a musician, I've started to see more and more of the, the genius inside classical composers and composers in history. Um, and, you know, I think that musicians 300 years ago have done everything that just about that we've done today. They just obviously did it with within their own 
um, limitations when it comes to harmonies and that kind of thing. They they really had a, a massive, massive grasp on these ideas, much more perhaps than composers have today. Um, so I, I think, like I mentioned, maybe unknowingly that, that caught my attention as a youngster and, and sort of um, stuck with me as a musician, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a maturing musician. I'm in my teens and, and up to now. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember an exact point when you start thinking, I want to be a musician? Or was there anyone who influenced yeah, you in yeah. that way? I think I always wanted to be a singer. Right. Um, I, I don't remember exactly what age or whereabouts that was. But what I, what I do remember is being introduced to rock bands and, and the penny dropping. And, um, you know, cousins and, uh, like sort of older influences in my family and whatnot, um, would have introduced me to bands like, uh, Nirvana and Metallica, um, and those, those kind of bands and something just really sunk in and I went like, Oh my God, (laughs) this, this is amazing. Um, Mm. and the idea of playing an instrument never really crossed my mind funny enough uh, really? i never really thought about yeah i i understood that there's like guitar music but the vocal was always something that was the most apparent thing mm. um, um and i thought to myself that would be cool i think that would be something something awesome to do but i never i never pursued it until i was about 11 um when i got my first guitar and started taking guitar lessons. Um, and from then, it was like, okay, now I have the means to make music, you know? Yeah, so yeah. It, 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 it never really, I wasn't really fussed with the technicalities and music. I didn't know anything about it at the time. I just, I just wanted to know how to play this instrument so that I could start writing songs. I think I started trying to write songs from literally the first time I picked a guitar, you know, just one little, <laughs> one little note. Okay, cool. You know, yeah, try to yeah. put a song together. And that's kind of been my, my MO ever since. Um, everything that I've done really in, in learning uh, guitar has been about being a better songwriter or trying to, trying to write better songs. Um, and that's taken me down all sorts of paths of, getting into different genres, anything from like old school blues stuff uh, to like death metal when I was a teenager. I was really into like like really heavy like death metal and black metal and that as a teenager. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but in retrospect, I think diving into all of those types of genres and, and whatnot has, um, has, has helped me identify different elements within, within songs and musical styles um, and would obviously influence the way that I, I write music now. Oh, yeah. It all builds you as a musician yourself. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You need those, those influences. So I remember when I was, you know, 13, 14, there was lots of, like nearly every second guy in school was getting a guitar and was into Metallica, stuff like that. The whole, I want to be in a band. I want to be a rock star. What was mm-hmm. it like for you at that age in South Africa? Was there, was it the same kind of thing? Everyone was wanting to be in a band and play an instrument? No, I, I was one of the, 
in school, I think I was the only person I can remember that wanted to do oh, yeah. that. I, I've always, yeah, I always found that my musical taste uh, and identity, I would almost say, um, was very much against the grain. So when, when I was a kid and I started getting into rock bands, I very quickly realized that my peers at school were not into rock bands. Um, and they, I mean, obviously, I'm, I would make friends um, with people with, with a similar mindset, you know. Um, it's, fu- it's, it's funny that you bring up these questions because it's some of these things I haven't thought of in years. And I'm just sort of uh, remembering now. But I remember being friends with a lot of like, um, like the skater, skateboarder type of, type of crew. And naturally, we're all into rock music, you know. So that was kind of like, I wasn't with musicians per se, but I started finding myself hanging out with groups of people that were maybe more uh, into music, you know. Not exactly how I might have liked, um, but at least we could hold conversations about bands and and that kind of thing. So in school, definitely um, was a bit of a lone wolf. Um just because I think, I think teenagers today as well are quite, there's this identity crisis that kids have, you know, um, when they start to find themselves and try different things. And I think that from an early age, I already knew, like, this is what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to play guitar. I like rock and roll music. And I'm, I'm going to do that. And um, it was definitely not the norm. And I think, to a certain extent, it rub people up the wrong way. Really? Tough sh- yeah, tough shit, you know, <laughs> for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, in, in retrospect. Yeah, I was just, I, I, I remember um, moving into high school when we had to start choosing subjects. And um, I didn't want to take, like, the advanced maths. Um, I wanted to do, like, the easy maths, you know. Because in my mind, I thought to myself, I need to figure out a way to plan my school subjects so that I can do as little as possible and play guitar as much as possible. <laughs> That's you know? pretty smart, I have to admit. Yeah, so I'm like, I don't want to do any of these things because I need to play this guitar. And if I've got to do homework for five hours a day, then it's five hours less that I've got on this guitar. Um, and obviously teachers and, and peers, at, well, my parents, not too much. My parents have always been quite supportive of my musical endeavors. Um, I'd say they're my, my two number one fans, my, my folks, which I'm very blessed to have. Um, but there was definitely some concern, like, what is this music thing going to do for this kid? You know, um, the music industry is so hard. It's impossible. You know, you can't have a sustainable career or lifestyle as a musician. And it's, it's all about, it's, I think it's all about determination and, and sort of work ethic. Um, yeah. Yeah, when I was when I was fifteen years old, that that's you know going to study something at university was not a concern of mine because I'm like, I want to I want to go and play guitar. That's what I want to do. I want to be in a band. Um, I want to make rock and roll music. Um, I learned some hard lessons that you can't just play guitar. You gotta you gotta get into the grit of of the business side and and that type of thing. Um, but that that was what I wanted to do. 
yeah, yeah. I I feel like over here in Ireland there is anyway. It's like um, if you're not in America, it's like some sort of far fetched dream. You know, when a mm. kid says, "Oh, I want to be in a band. I want to be a musician," it's almost like everyone. Well, in my experience, it's like everyone treats it as a phase and they'll grow out of it. Was yeah. it the same kind of thing for you? Yeah. Yeah, I think to maybe not. Uh, maybe not blatantly. Mm. Um, my, and like I said, my parents never really discouraged it. It's maybe unfair for me to even say it that way. They didn't discourage it. I think they just encouraged having a backup. So it wasn't like yeah. my parents were saying, look, dude, this music thing is a joke and you're never going to make it. Wasn't, it was never that. It was more like, listen, we see what you're trying to do. And we're all for it, but, you know, go to university and study something so that if it does tank or you do decide like it's too difficult that you have something to, to fall back on. And, and my, my notion was always, if I don't have anything to fall back on, then I'm not going to fall, I'm not going to have a choice. Yeah. I'm going to have to make this music thing work, you know? That's um, a good point. And... I did, I did study and get a degree and, and whatnot. So I did have that experience, but, um, it, what I think what the most valuable thing I, I learned as a musician is how to run it as a business, you know, right. and that musicians don't want to hear that. And artists don't want to hear that because it's about passion. Um, it is about passion, you know, and it, it is about the art and nobody wants to talk about business and, uh, merchandising and admin and you know it's got to yeah. be like rock and roll 24 7 and the unfortunate thing is that's not how the music industry works and it's definitely not how the rock and roll music industry works anymore in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s maybe um, but I think that now more than ever um, musicians have to have a level of business aptitude that they got to work on and there's there's got to be there's got to be drive and ambition and diligence to want to get something done and to see it done properly um and it comes with the, in, in you know i think it comes with its with a lot of uh challenges yeah. perhaps but but also a certain maybe a certain expectation so so for example if if like partying and that whole lifestyle is is something that you want to do, you can do that with your pub band, you know. Um, but there's are going to be organizers that see this and investors and that kind of thing that see this in the long term and say, I don't know if this is a sustainable character to have. At least from my experience, I'm, I can only speak from my own experience. Yeah, um, I think you're not uh, you're not taking it seriously if all you want to do is you know yeah, the sex, drugs, rock and roll, rock and roll, yeah. Um, you know, if I invest, uh, if I invest into this guy's career, am I going to see a return on this investment or, or not, you know, and that's kind of how I think about myself. Um, if I want to get something done, um, if I've got to plan five shows in a row on a tour or something like that, and I've been on the source the night before and then tomorrow my voice doesn't work and then I'm letting the audience down, you know. So there's a, there's that as well. It's, it's people coming out to your shows and you better make sure that 
you give a hundred percent. You know, we're all human beings, so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a couple of pints with your friends or your band after the show. But what I am saying is if that's affecting how you're doing business um, in general, then it's maybe something that you need to consider or reconsider, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I speak from experience in that realm <laughs> as well. Let me, let me tell you. So <laughs> uh, it's not to say that I'm without my, my flaws in that, in that sense, but I've, I've learned that it's not, it's not how I want to run um, my, uh, it's not how I want to, you know, portray myself as a, a musician and a business person. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting how the music industry has totally kind of flip-flopped though, really, isn't it? Like, as you've said, artists nowadays need to, you know, wear many hats and have a finger in every pie almost mm, compared to, mm. as we said, the 70s, 80s, when all you had to do was concentrate on, you know, singing, being in the band and yeah. partying to a, a certain extent. It's interesting. Yeah. It's almost like uh, it's made the whole, well, there is no rock and roll sort of life anymore, really. It's made it kind of boring, for lack of a better word. Yeah, it's a it's a bit more straight edge. Um, and I think it really just depends what a musician or an artist wants to get out of their lifestyle and, and their career, you know. Um Back in the day, having said that, I, I don't think it was necessarily easier. I just think that when something is more mainstream, there's more attention around it. If everybody wants to be in a band and everybody wants to go out to shows and that's popular, then you're going to find in, in investors and hype and money and all sorts of things are, are gravitating towards those, um, those endeavors. A great example is how massive the hip hop industry is globally now. You know, um, it went from you know like the early onsets of hip hop, like in the eighties, um, to like mainstream sort of coverage in the nineties. And if you think about what the hip hop environment is like now, um, yeah, hip hop is hip hop is what rock and roll was uh, in the eighties. You know, oh, definitely, That's, definitely. Um, and and so you see, you, you know, you see big lights, um, these massive artists, um, and that's because of, of mainstream and, and that's because of audiences. It's about audiences you want who are putting those people up on these massive pedestals and are prepared to pay those prices for tickets and merchandise and all kinds of things, you know. Mm. Um, that's, that's more about like media influence, you know. So as a rock and roll artist, you, you got to decide if, if you want to do it as a career, um, are you prepared to, to do what it takes to reach higher levels? Um, and you know, the, the, the boring stuff is, is the admin maybe. I mean, I find it like, I find it extremely thrilling to, uh, to be a part of that kind of thing. Even certain things like these kind of interviews or podcasts or what I, I love this kind of thing. Um, really? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'll sit and talk to you the whole day, you know. <laughs> you'll, you'll have to say, you'll have to be like, Ross, enough now, please. Um, because I, I'm really passionate about it and it's something that I, I feel like I can share with. I hope that, you know, when I am um, doing these types of things that I am sharing something that's useful. 
to other artists um, and I can share my own experiences with maybe youngsters who want to get into it or whoever wants to get into it and maybe just put it a little bit more cut and dry. Um, there's still, you know, everybody's lifestyle is going to be different. So it doesn't mean to say that like, it's just grit. You just got to find the silver lining on, on all of those types of things. I, I find myself enjoying the business aspect of it a lot more because it's something slightly different. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh, okay, I'm, I'm actually quite good at this. Mm. I have a certain entrepreneurial uh, aptitude that maybe I, I didn't know about before. And uh, I'm able to, you know, exercise um, those skills yeah. and utilize them. And that makes, that makes for a cool lifestyle, flying around to different countries and places within my country and touring and meeting people and playing shows, most importantly, being on stage with people, you know? Um, yeah. You can, you can do a DIY. I mean, it would be, I'd love to have a massive team behind me all day just planning all those things for me, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. When, I'm, when I'm big, you know, one day when I'm big. <laughs> um, but up until that point, you know, you, you just got to knuckle down and, and do what's necessary to, to work your, your, your craft. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, it's like anything really, you know, you have to just determination, perseverance, you know, mm. really do the hard stuff until the easy stuff comes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I always say uh, playing the music and playing live is, is not the work, you know, it's getting to that point. It's all the time for rehearsals and studio time and writing and marketing and, you know, but when I'm up on the stage, that's definitely not work, you know. I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. Was there a point then when it turned around and you felt, yeah, this is starting to work. This is starting to take off. My hard work is paying off. I think it comes in little stages. Um, I have crippling moments of self-doubt even now. <laughs> really? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that's part of part of the process. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of times when I've decided I'm going to quit. I'm going to give up. This is so hard. You know, I'm just I'm just gonna go get a nine to five and you know, fuck it. Excuse my French. Mm. <laughs> but um something always comes back and there's there's the you know, you'll get a a little piece of a reward or something will happen and it sort of keeps me going. Um interactions with fans or um you know, it's it's it really depends on how one measures success i think as well um because you know if you if if you compare yourself if i compare myself to metallica I might say i'm unsuccessful but if i compare if i if i look at the the work that i've put in in my own career over 10 years i can say to myself well 10 years i wasn't even close to where i am now so um, it's it's kind of relative, you know. Um, there's definitely something that keeps me that keeps me going, which is the need to make music and and release that music to audiences. You know, the sharing music with audiences has always been, I think, my my primary goal. Um, and having and having an audience 
there's nothing quite like having an audience really respond to music that you've released um, and, and somebody finding something in a song, an album or whatever that resonates with them deeply. You know, there's something, there's something almost spiritual about that, you know, that's not really about how many Instagram followers you have or yeah. how, how famous you are in people's perception. You know, there's something very like special about an individual person connecting with music that you've made, you know, yeah, that kind yeah. of keeps me, that kind of keeps me doing this. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, the little things that come along, the small victories I, I try to identify, mm. you know, um, on the way. And that, that kind of keeps me, keeps me motivated. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, that'd be the most important thing out of anything, you know, be even more important than how much money you make is that connection yeah. with your fans, you know, that you've actually, you've maybe changed someone's life in a small little tiny way you know you've influenced their mood you've made them feel better or you know mm-hmm. it's that and that's the power of music that's a massively massively great thing you know mm, 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 mm. absolutely so um that you know since <clears throat> since i started writing music there's there's been a need to create something and then there's been this desire to share it with people and, and, and influence people. Um, uh, and I, I've spoken about this kind of element often, but a lot of my music has got a sort of dark under, or maybe an overtone, but the undertone is normally a notion of catharsis, um, a notion of, uh, growth. There's normally mm. something, you know, I'm, 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 quite into like horror and there's a morbid curiosity that my mind has. Yeah. So that influences me in the way I write, but normally I feel like there's something I want to say that's underlying. That's at least got a, like a sort of positive feeling about it. I don't want someone to listen to my music and feel depressed. You know, I want them to kind of feel better. There's, there's a, something about somber music though, uh, melancholy music that like, we just, we tend to gravitate towards. It's weird, you know, that's very if you feel true, actually. like if you, yeah, if you feel like sad and you listen to a sad, like a really happy song, you don't, it's like, you don't want to listen to that, you know, you'd, yeah. like, you'd rather listen to something like Beethoven's piano sonata, <laughs> the moonlights and like, just <laughs> like, ugh, get yeah. it out of your system and then move on, you know, that, that's yeah. kind of. That's kind of the music that I that I make. It's like just indulge in this, like you know, wholeheartedly, and then feel better later. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a weird effect, actually, that it does have. You know, because it's kind of almost the opposite of what you would expect. You know, because if you're in a bad mood or you're feeling sad, and you go listen to sad music, you would automatically think on paper that would make you feel worse. But it doesn't. It has the opposite it effect. It really, it really does. Yeah. There's something, there's just something about, um, the, the emotion of music. And I I think, I think that it is something that's, that's learned. Mm. Um, and so what I mean to say by that is the, is this, if you think about a radio station or a club, for example, that plays like up tempo kind of pop music, um, and no, dis- I don't have any disregard to, to pop music. I'm not that guy. 
the rock and roll artist who thinks like all radio music is garbage or whatever. I'm really not. <laughs> um, there's there's so there's so much good music in all different spheres. Whether it's like completely bubblegum pop, um, or like you know the most obscure avant-garde, um, you know stuff mm. that you could that you can imagine. There's yeah. there's some there's something in it for for different types of mindset, you know, and different types of personalities. So so often what I feel like is with genres like rock music um, and heavy metal music and things that tend even like like you know heavy classical music and that kind of thing. Mm. There, there's definitely something emotive that's happening there that not everybody may be comfortable with. Yeah, you know where it's easier to listen to something upbeat on the radio and and kind of be hearing feeling it if it if, if it were at a surface level yeah you just yeah. you're just kind of feeling it here you know it's not it's not too up it's not too down it's just it's just there it's catchy enough and it's stuck in your head now and that's a good song you know and that's fine um but it does take a level of um willingness to to listen to something like really emotive and and allow yourself to be moved by it um you know if you think of like mega ballads that have existed in in the musical genre in general um whether it's rock music or whatever the case is there's something there that a person has to be willing to sort of move with, you know, it doesn't just affect you. I wish because hopefully then my music would just appeal to everybody, but it, it, it can't. And, um, once, once you sort of acquired a taste for it, you now start climbing down the rabbit hole where you're looking for more music that feels like that and more bands and artists that sort of affect you in that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. That can be the hard part at times, though, finding more that will replicate that feel. That will you know? replicate it, yeah. You're yeah. Chasing the dragon now with, with <laughs> exactly. music. You know? Exactly. And um, we'll move on to your gigs. What mm. can people expect when they come to a, one of your shows? The, the live environment is probably my favorite part of this, this in, you know, this whole process of being a musician. Um, so it's it's loud and guitar driven um you know as much as any any band from the 90s um but I, I think I think that we take extreme pride in how we put the live show together what it sounds like you know how the band performs so um if you're into loud rock music you know that's done i hope professionally and with you know as much uh honesty as possible and it's kind of what yeah. that's kind of that's what i want to portray at least you know that's what i want people to hear but like i said i i love the the live environment you know there's nothing quite like a really well mic'd up drum kit that's coming through that pa and you can feel that kick drum like punching you in the face you know oh, yeah. i love it's like soundcheck is always drums, bass. If that's working, then I'm like, okay, rad. The guitars <laughs> and the vocals are it's gonna be fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, there's nothing quite like 
a, a, a great drum tone and a great bass tone just jelling together, you know. Mm. Um, I love that, um, <laughs> which, is, which is why I'm so lucky to have um, these, these musicians uh, performing with me that I do. Um, Matthew Rennie on, on the drum kit and Charles Gear on the bass. They, they just work so well together and they both got such a unique way of playing um, and approaching music. Um, but I, I think that as a, you know, as a rhythm section, they, they really, they really sync in. Um, and it, it makes my job as, um, the singer, guitar player, just so much more fluid, you know, it just makes it easy for me. Um, although, although it's obviously guitar based music, there's a lot of space. Um, it's actually, it's actually quite an in-depth question that you've asked, um, and I can go on about the technicalities as well. I love to talk shop about this, but <laughs> it's there's elements of maybe like psych, psychedelia, if I can use that term. Yeah. Um, we like we like big space and we like big tones and you know, especially especially as a three piece, that that trio gives you certain elements that you maybe don't get away with with having a bigger band. Um, right. In the sense that you can be like really heavy and like punchy and out the front, you know, um, like really in in the face. But if we play like a slow blues um, sort of style and we bring it like way down, especially as the trio where the drum kit's like almost stopped, you know, just like very subtle and the bass is driving and the vocal, it, it definitely adds a kind of dynamic to the set that... Um, it's difficult to accomplish when you don't have musicians that are all on the same page. Um, bigger bands, you know. Mm. Um, so I think I think there's something in that in the uh, stripped backness of the trio that that works in our favor and allows for dynamic and allows for space, but also at times when we want to get a bit heavier, you know, um, it, it does come across can come across like quite quite full and, mm. and fat <laughs> yeah yeah I, i've always liked the versatility of a three piece myself you know yeah. as you said you can go soft you can go hard as opposed to like a massive band you know that can really only do heavy and hard you know yeah yeah it's yeah. definitely better to have the versatility yeah or you have to have musicians that understand the, you know dynamics i mean if you get like these big, these big, like ten-piece bands. If those guys are all on the same page and musicians know when not to play, I always find that's that's a massive thing. Yeah. Don't play now. Stop playing. <laughs> Just relax, you know, and allow music to breathe. Mm. Again, uh, I think, I think it's really, it's about the song yeah. first and foremost. Like like I mentioned to you earlier, it's it's about the song and thereafter. Um, it's about portraying that song in the, in the live environment and everybody servicing the song, Yeah, serving the song. What is the right thing to do for this section, you know, and understanding how we fit in. And it's much easier as a three piece, I think. Best personalities to juggle. And I was just <laughs> going to say egos and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. No, luckily... Luckily, we don't have any of that. Probably only from me. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, 
yeah, as the guys would say. But um, <laughs> there's, there's. Would you there's be the type that would be like, it's all about me, it's my name, I'm the, I'm the star. <laughs> Look, it, I, I try my best not to be like that because the band, the band is called Ross Harding already. So I, I must be honest, I didn't. That's something I didn't anticipate um, dealing with in doing a kind of solo project. Essentially, it's a band that's that's under my name, hmm. and and that sort of self promotion is actually quite tiring. I must be honest. Really, um, you know, Ross Harding, Ross Harding, Ross Harding, all the time. It's like you're floating your own boat. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and and tooting my own horn, and it gets it gets a bit tiring at times. Hmm. Um, so I really I really try my best to be as humble as I can. I, I struggle with that at times, like any human being. Um, but it's not, it's not really, I wouldn't say it's ego so much as it's just that I have something very particular that I want to portray, which is why I decided to go uh, to, to, to adapt my career to the solo style, if, if, if you will. Um, it's because I have something particular that I want to do. There's a certain sound. There's a certain vibe. Um, and it, it felt that that umbrella was easier for me to navigate than um, a band. Band, band. Bands can be kind of limited. If everybody, once again, if, if everybody's not on the same page, they don't have the same goal, you see it all the time um, with bands, especially when you look at history. You may not see it as an, a, you know, a fan on the outside, but when you listen to interviews and that kind of thing, you'll see that there's lots and lots of clashing. Yeah. That lots exists, of friction that exists. So, um, I, I've tried, I've tried to keep that out of, um, my working environment as much as possible. And so hence the, the decision to utilize, uh, my own name and a solo kind of, uh, approach to the band, the band space. In, bands or projects you would have been in before then would you have taken on the same role where you would have been said lead songwriter singer uh it's been a mix so there have been in in the band i play well the the band i was doing before this called black harbor um it was kind of mixed between myself and my the co-founder kevin hughes mm. um and the band before that it was a bit more mixed between all the members. Um, and simultaneously, I was in another band where I found myself as like the kind of spearhead with influence yeah. from, from other guys, which is great. Um, it is, like I said, if everybody's on the same page and have the same goal, it's, it's definitely a, a way that you can improve on songwriting and, and musicianship. But... If a member leaves or a dynamic changes, then you start finding yourself have to perhaps start over or pick up the pieces. And that was another reason why I decided to to run it this way. Um, but I but I have found myself as maybe it's just because that's part of my musical mo is that I I, I take on the the role of songwriter, um, and that's that's what I do. I write songs, you know. Yeah. So if I'm playing yeah. in a band, I, I want those songs to be played. You know. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I get you. Speaking of songs, we'll uh, a good segue. We must talk about your album that's coming out this week. Yeah, yeah. So it's the debut EP, Rest and Resurrection, which I'm I'm very proud of. Um, it came together really really nicely. A lot of lot of work, and um, I'm I'm proud of it as the first endeavor that I've taken on as a as a solo artist and. Um, just super keen for people to hear it. That's coming out on Friday, Friday the fourteenth of January. Brilliant, brilliant. Is this kind of like a culmination of all your work over the lockdown, or? Mm, exactly, exactly that. So there's there's three Ross Harding songs on there, um, like that are that are purely wrote for for this chapter. Um, and there's three songs on there that were in betweens. So there's a there's a song on there called Cigarettes and Whiskey, which has come from a project that I had like six or seven years ago, you know. Oh, and yeah. has come through the channels and finally um reached this point. Most likely it will be the end of the line for that song as far as recording goes. Right. Um it's maybe reached its its completed stage or, or whatever the case is at least i've put a pin in it for now <laughs> um there's like a, a bluesy interpretive tune from sun house uh, called grinning which has become a staple of our of our live set um and there's a song called black rose which i did write initially as a solo idea but it took on a version of itself in um, in the band space and has like made a reappearance to to this um, EP. So it's it's definitely a nice uh, rounded um, you know record for for audiences you may know of me from previous work or you know audiences that are just that are just getting uh, to know me now as a songwriter. I think it will give a pretty dynamic um introduction to myself as an artist yeah kind of has something for everybody yeah i hope so and 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 it's it's something that i've um that i think will capture my sound at least for that time um quite quite well mm. and um i mean we've already finished the the follow-up it's already tracked and done really yeah um uh. This, uh, just now in December, another three songs. Mm. Music music videos have been shot. Everything. Um, Jeez, you don't waste so, um, any time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I try. I try not to. So that's the thing. This process happens so quickly, and um, I want to keep the ball rolling and um, and get across to as many people as I possibly can. Um, and so the work, the work must happen. Yeah, the show must continue. That's another thing nowadays as well. It's like people's attention spans have got shorter, so you have to kind of bring yeah. things out, bring things out quicker. You have to be smashing it down <laughs> the social media tubes and that all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I'm what I'm hoping to do is to is to lock some people in. Mm. You know, really lock in the fans that are that are there for the long haul. You know, yeah. my, my intention is to keep doing this. Um, 
and I, I really have respect and, and love for fans that are there already, you know. Um, and more will come as the, the process goes on. That's just how these things work. Um, but I, I intend to make the best music I can for for people that are here now and for those, you know, those, those fans that are joined later on to yeah. feel like, wow, okay, you know, I'm, I'm listening to an artist that's got some quality stuff and... Um, you know, I don't want skip songs on the on the record. You know, so yeah. if I feel like the song is nah, then we rather we rather put a pin in it and make sure what we release is as high quality as we can. You have to really, you know, when you're an artist, you don't want to you don't want to be putting out something that your your heart isn't in completely. You know, Mm-mm. absolutely not. Um, so that's yeah, that's been the the mindset. Um, it's funny because I've heard this EP a bazillion times. And <laughs> I've done the next one and now I've heard that one a bazillion times and it's not even out yet, you know? <laughs> so uh, It must be hard to stay talking about the one that's coming out this week then when your mind is already on the next one and it's completed. I try to remind myself that other people have not, uh, like, aren't there yet, you mm. know? So as soon as I do that then um, it becomes easy again because it's not, it hasn't even been released yet, you know? So I can't expect if, you know, fans and that to be on the same, same page, you know, same page as I am. Yeah. Um, So I've got to remind myself, it's not even out yet, dude. Just relax, (laughs) release the EP, you know, talk about Mm. the EP, play the songs and we'll build from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, Will it be Saturday morning? You'll get up and you'll be like, "Right, album number two. I can talk about it." <laughs> um, no, I think <laughs> I think we'll give it some time to yeah. to get across to people, and we'll you know we'll be marketed and and whatnot, and give it some time to uh, to sink into people's hearts, yeah. um, hopefully. And um, yeah, as soon as it starts to sort of settle down, we'll start talking about the next one. I've got some, so I've got some plans for the US um, in terms of release dates and that for that one, which is cool. Oh man! Um, and uh, and Europe, the UK as well. So oh. let's see what happens. Brilliant, brilliant. Speaking of abroad, have you been to the US or UK, Europe? Uh, Europe, yeah. Um, played a couple of shows in Ireland, uh, Ireland in uh, Italy. Ah. Um. We've we've post unfortunately we've postponed some dates and that because of COVID and whatnot, mm. um, which is unfortunate. But things you know things um, are, are are simmering all the time, and um, I've been in contact with booking agents and venues and that for for Europe for two years already. So as soon as as soon as we have a sort of solid go go ahead, then that ball will be rolling. And um, yeah, you know, the UK is. I've I've never played in the UK, but it's something that I've I've wanted to do for so long. So um, yeah, I'll I'll let you know as soon as that's do do definitely. I'll send, I'll send you some tickets as soon as we uh brilliant as soon as we get on there. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be looking forward to that, or else I'll uh, I'll have to make the trek over to South Africa. Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, you can stay in my flat. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, perfect. I'll be yeah. uh, I'll be looking up flights tonight. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> um, 
so what's uh, do you have anything set in stone for this year for 2022 i don't have my my calendar in front of me right now so <laughs> I, I, my mind's a blank um but i think the easiest thing is just like for people to follow the website and that will give all the dates i know there's there's johannesburg dates in in march mm. um yeah i've just i've just hit a complete blank but I think the website will be the easiest, you know, all the data up there, performances, news, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's uh, rosshardingmusic.com. Perfect. I'll add the link to the show notes anyway, so it'll be easy Thank for them you. to find. And uh, I suppose we'll move on to the last couple of questions. Nobody gets off the podcast without answering these, I'm afraid. Right. So uh, if there was any performer or band from history, that you could see in concert for one night only, who would it be? Probably the 70s Led Zeppelin. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I've I'd say. heard that answer a couple of times. Yeah, I think I think that's but I'm so I'm so torn because the other one is my favorite band of all time, Soundgarden. If I could watch them, you know, in the nineties with Chris Cornell, you know. So it's it's a tie there. Say <laughs> so like 70s Zip or 90s Soundgarden. Yeah, yeah. I like how they're both two bands that you don't need to ask why either, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just, <laughs> and I mean, for me, I might get some backlash from this, but Soundgarden is kind of like a 90s Led Zeppelin, you know, in a way. Mm, you know, I can if, see you, it. if you give it some, like, if you think of, the like early heavy metal bands, if you will. Sabbath. Sabbath is like one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, if you think of Sabbath, the Zeppelin, those kind of bands that were sort of popular in a similar era and a similar thing going on. And then if you just look at it in a microscope in like the 90s bands, like, you know, Alice in Chains, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Mother Love Bone, whatever. Hmm. And you have a look at Soundgarden. Soundgarden to me is like the Zeppelin of that thing yeah. that was happening, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, like a grungy Led Zeppelin, you know? Just in terms of like songwriting style, obviously vocals. Connell's mm. um, my favorite singer of all time, hands down. Um, but I think Zeppelin, Zeppelin has done something for me in my life, which is which no other band really did, which was um, just kind of awakened me to this like blues rock thing, this mm. energy thing, you know, that was just like violent and sexy and everything like all in one, in one package, you know, this monster of Led Zeppelin. Um, which is obviously undeniable. I was watching this thing about them. It's so funny. Um, I think I stand corrected, but Rolling Stone or one of those magazines of their first album said that it was unoriginal right. and called and called Plant's vocals screechy. <laughs> I, I might be I might be misquoting on the the exact phrasing, but I'm mm. sure if you get onto Uncle Google, it'll tell you. That Jeez, the early, really... the early critics were not were not keen on them. <laughs> and it's just so funny um, how they they change the the world, you know, in yeah. terms of music. 
Yeah, they really um, changed music full stop. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy, isn't it? You often hear things like that, though. You know, um, you often hear of singers who, when they were starting out, their music teacher told them they couldn't sing, or the same goes for actors and stuff like that. And they're yeah. actually the ones who end up revolutionizing the scene. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. Crazy. It is. We'll um we'll move on to the next one. If mm. you could spend twenty four hours locked in a room with any artist or musician from history, who would it be? Megan Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Another one. I don't have to ask why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Man, that is such a tough question. Um. I'm thinking of all my rock idols now, but the other one I'm leaning to is maybe somebody, maybe someone like Beethoven or Mozart. I actually had a feeling you were going to say Beethoven. Yeah, maybe somebody in that in that realm. Um, mm. But from rock and roll, again, probably Chris Cornell. Just yeah. just because he's a hero, you know, he's a hero of mine. So that will come yeah. up often. Um, Pick his brain about songwriting and rock and roll music, you know. Yeah, even just get the chance to hang out with him and chat with him would be. Well, I think unreal. I think Beethoven, you know, would have been an interesting character if I could find some common ground. Because the That's thing is, the with thing. someone on with someone with that amount of genius, I think I might sound like a complete idiot, you know, <laughs> in a in a room <laughs> in a room with that person. So. Mm. Tough one, yeah. It is, it is. Do you think there's anything that Beethoven could teach you that you could apply to your music today? It, it, anything. <laughs> Just anything <laughs> that he said, probably I could apply. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, although the genres are so different, the... The principles. The no, the, but the knowledge about music mm. is, is where I think... You know, um, I didn't mention it earlier, but... Um, now that I think about it, some some songwriters that have really influenced me are actually film score writers. Hans Zimmer, uh-uh. John Williams. Um, mm. Maybe not so much in... They're influences in the sense that they've been able to tell massive stories with music. Yeah, yeah. Actually. If you think about like the Star Wars theme, like who ha- who doesn't know... He yeah. doesn't know what Darth Vader sounds like. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Or Jaws. Two um, notes. Jaws or, and... I mean, there's so many. Um, uh, if you think about the composition for something like Schindler's List, you know? Yeah. These, um, or from uh, Memoirs of a Geisha, he did that, um, uh, I forget what the piece is called now, but the Chairman's Waltz. Mm. But, I mean, there's just beautiful brilliant compositions you know um so maybe a conversation into um ideas about harmony and those kind of technical things would be a very interesting approach yeah yeah that's actually a good one Mm. Mm -hmm. and the uh the final one so if there was a song that could appear on the soundtrack to your life what would it be Mm. it should be a rad intro song <laughs> like walking into the ring yeah. Kashmir Kashmir <laughs> Led Zeppelin love it 
Brilliant yeah. choice. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Bright Lights from Gary Clark Jr. Another yeah, one. Maybe that will be the, out, the outro song. Yeah. <laughs> Two brilliant at ones. The, uh, end of the, at the end of the film, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. So um, your song, Resurrection, is going to play us out. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Just listen to it and just download it and share it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Resurrection. Also, a song that came, that came to me quite quickly and concisely. I think that's why they fit together. It just made sense for those songs to they, – they're kind of paradoxical. Um, in that rest is light and resurrection is kind of dark, although they have overlapping themes. Um, mm. Resurrection is more about being born out of dark as opposed to it is being a dark song. Yeah. Um, re- rebirth. Um, and I think that, again, it's a theme that can resonate with many people at this time is coming out of something on the other end, being reborn. Um, I try to I try to veer from like religious themes, although they're all over the place. Um, in that song, iconography maybe more, not so much religious. It's more about symbolism and metaphor. You know, poetic license. That's that's the thing about songwriting. You can we're allowed to right get away with murder.
The world's changing and it's not necessarily for the better. Cancel culture is out of control. People that are claiming to be woke are actually more divisive and destructive than they will ever admit to. The silent majority is getting fed up. We're tired of normalization of things that should not be acceptable. We're tired of division. We're tired of fighting. A lot of us just wanted to be left alone. A lot of people are worried that they're going to be canceled, that people are going to come for them, that the woke culture is not going to allow them to have a voice or to have an opinion. Too many people in this world have gotten used to the idea that just because they have the loudest voices, they are somehow automatically right. They're way too comfortable using the false front of inclusion or acceptance to try and push hateful, divisive agendas. Instead of focusing on things we all have in common, they want to accent and highlight and push all the differences and forgetting the fact that we're all just people. It's time to bring back common sense. It's time to start focusing on inclusion instead of exclusion. It's time to stop worrying about things that happened generations before any of us were walking the earth. It's time to start holding people responsible for their actions. It's time to have the uncomfortable conversations. It's time to learn and grow and expand. I had to say at the podcast, having the uncomfortable conversations that need to be had Available wherever you find your podcasts or at IHadToSayItPodcast.com. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this show. If you did, rate and review us on iTunes. Really helps the show grow. You can find us on social media at Concerts That Made Us Podcast. And be sure to check out our website at www.ConcertsThatMadeUs.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by signing up at Patreon.com forward slash Concerts That Made Us. We've got three tiers available. If that's something you're interested in, you'll get access to a private Discord, exclusive uncut video versions of the podcast, early access to ad-free versions of the episodes, and much, much more. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here.